Amen. Now, now, before I get to my teaching, I need to rectify something unfortunate that happened last Sunday. After service, a lady said to me, you finished early today. So, I want to sincerely apologize and tell you I'll make up for that this morning, okay? So, what we're going to do this morning is we are going to finish. We're, if you're new to us, I say this all the time, we are dead serious about what we do here but we have a lot of fun doing it, right? That's kind of about us, you know? I, uh, this is the last part of a series I've been doing through the month of August that I called It Goes Without Saying. And what I've done is I've looked at a few verses in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, where Jesus said to those that he was teaching, there are three particular things that he touched on, and he said about them, when you do this, when you do this, when you do this. He didn't say, you've got to do this, you should do this, I command you to do this. He said, when you do this, because it went without saying, as far as Jesus was concerned, that they would. And so, it turned out to be the first two weeks of the month, I talked about when you give to the poor. And then last week, I talked about when you pray. And then by a superb irony, considering this morning's menu, today I want to look at Jesus' statement, when you fast. Some of you probably determined to do that right after you ate the Cinnabon, right? When you fast. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6. And verse 16, let me read a few verses to you. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Now, let me say this off the bat. Jesus said, when you fast to his disciples, because the Jewish tradition that they would have grown up with was a tradition that had fasting as a way of life for them. And Jesus was aware of the fact that there were some of the very religious Jewish people who liked to make it known to everybody else when they were fasting. So they did their best to look their worst. I, I don't know kind of quite what that entailed. Maybe they didn't put makeup on ladies or guys, whatever. But, uh, but you know, whatever. But they, so folks would say to them, oh, are you okay? You don't look so good. Yeah, I'm fasting. Oh, Oh, and they did it because they wanted attention, they wanted notice, and they wanted others to think that spiritually they were kind of superior. So let me just, I just want to touch on, on, on one, two, three, four, five, six quick points. This is just, and that's just the introduction. All right, no, six, six really quick things about fasting, okay? Number one, obviously from this passage, if you fast, don't do it just to impress others, okay? Secondly, don't fast to lose weight. 
Now, you may say, I do intermittent fast. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the people who say, well, it's Lent, so I'm going to stop doing this. It'll probably help me lose weight as well. Don't think you're doing that for God. You're doing that, yeah, you're doing that to look better. Stop it, all right? So then thirdly, here's a big one. Don't fast to force God's hand. That's a big one, right? I've been praying. It's not happening. I, I, wonder, you know, I wonder if I was to pray and fast. So if I fast, God's got to do it. God's got to do nothing. Amen. And your fasting won't force his hand. And then here's an interesting thing. Don't fast frequently. If you look in the Bible, it was a very special thing that someone fasted. If you choose to fast, do fast purposefully. What's the purpose? To get closer to God. Just big picture. I just want to know God better. I think this might help. And, the, and, and then number six. See, you didn't think I could do it quick. Number six, do fast healthily. Make sure your healthcare professional agree with what you're doing. All right, now all that to say, I'm going to take a slightly different turn on fasting. But if you generally say, well, I want to know about fasting, Rog, there's a book I want to recommend to you. Okay, you can get it on Amazon. It's called God's Chosen Fast. It's by a guy named Arthur Wallace, who was an outstanding Bible teacher. And uh, I read God's Chosen Fast in the 1960s, I think. And I read it again a year or two ago, and it's still very, very current and very thorough and very informative. So if you want some good stuff about fasting in general, God's Chosen Fast is a great book. I think it's $12.99 or something on Amazon, and uh, you can have it by, uh, by Tuesday. How about that? <laughs> so you might be thinking, like, isn't it weird when we're talking about caring for people and grace care? Isn't it kind of weird to take that as a month where you're going to talk about fasting? Like, where does that fit in? Okay, so now I'm going to show you where it fits in, and some of you are going to say, that guy is smarter than I thought he was, okay? So, so, here we, so here we go. You see, the idea of fasting to try to get God's attention was not new to Jesus' day. In the Old Testament book of Isaiah and chapter 58, the, the people of God are complaining about the fact that although they had fasted, God doesn't seem to have heard them. Now, let me just say this. So they're complaining to God. We've prayed, we've fasted, and, and, and for all the fasting we've done, you, you haven't paid attention to us. I want to tell you this. If you want to dish it out to God, you'd better be able to take it too. So they're saying to God, you failed us, you let us down, you didn't do what you ought to have done, you didn't take notice, and God says, take a breath, here we go, Isaiah 58 and verse 5, God says to them, do you think this is the kind of fast I'm after, a day to show off humility? to put on a pious long face and parade around solemnly in black? Do you call that fasting a fast day that I, God, would like? So God's saying to them, you know what? I know you've been fasting, but I've been totally unimpressed. So it's like, well, what does he want? Well, he tells us. Verse 6. This is the kind of 
fast day I'm after, to break the chains of injustice, get rid of exploitation in the workplace, free the oppressed, cancel debts. What I'm interested in seeing you do is sharing your food with the hungry, inviting the homeless poor into your homes, putting clothes on the shivering ill-clad, being available to your own families. Yeah, let's talk about fasting today. And God says, this is the kind of fast that I want. This is what I'm looking for from you. I'm looking for the kind of fasting that means you share your food with the hungry. You invite the homeless into your home. You put clothes on those that are shivering, ill-clad. That's the kind of so you see, fasting fits in very well for our month of focus on grace care. God says, forget cutting out breakfast and thinking you're doing me a favor or thinking you'll make me do what you want to do. Here's what I am looking for from you. Number one, share your food with the hungry. Starting point, number one, share your food with the hungry. The first week of this series, I, I uh, referred to a verse in Deuteronomy chapter 15 and verse 4, where it says this, as the people of Israel were traveling towards the promised land God would give them, God told them this, there must be no poor among you, because God is going to bless you lavishly in this land. That's an interesting statement. Just, just look at that for a moment, if you would. There must be no poor among you. Now, God doesn't say there will be no poor among you, but He says there must be no poor among you. Why must there be no poor among you? Because God is going to bless you lavishly in this life. Why must there be no poor? Because God's going to give you the wherewithal to take care of the poor and to help the poor. Are you with me? So God says, you know, when we're done with this traveling bit in the desert here, where I'm providing everything for everybody, and you get into a land of your own, you're going to find that life is good. But there will be those for whom life is not quite as good, and they must be taken care of. And they must be taken care of by you, because I am going to bless you lavishly. Right? Now, you may be sitting here today and say, well, if, if God would bless me lavishly, I would take care of other people more. And, and I've got to say, you know, somewhere along the line, there needs to be a readjustment in many of our thinking because, you know what, the definition of not so well off nowadays is quite different from what the definition of not so well off was in my parents' day. And we've just got used to having better and more and more and think it's normal. Listen, folks, there's no end to it. There's no end to it. I mean, once the new car smells worn off, it's like a piece of junk. So you spend money you don't have, and you invest in a future that you don't know what's going to happen by getting newer and bigger and better and you don't have anything to help those that are in need because you're up to your eyeballs in debt for stuff that's catering to you. And God said, I'm going to bless you, but I'm going to bless you so that you can take care of other people. 
Are we good? I'm not getting anybody today because I don't, you know, I'm, I'm just um, reminding all of us. That okay? God said, you, you, you've, got to, you've got to take care of them. You, you know, it's easy to lose sight of the value of what God has blessed us with. I remember once when, when I was in Bible college and um, a group of us as students went out for a weekend to a church um, not far from the college and we did a special service on the Saturday evening for them. And then we, we stayed over and we did their Sunday morning service. They had a Sunday evening service and we were there. And, and, and Sunday night after it all, before we left, the pastor had us round to his house and, and, and he had a nice house. And hey, I don't begrudge a pastor having a nice house. I got a nice house. But he had a nice house. And I'm thinking, wow, this is, you know, this, this is nice. It wasn't extravagant, but it was a nice house. And then, and then he was telling me he used to be a, a graphic designer before he felt God called him to ministry. And his wife said, and you know, if you were still doing that, we wouldn't be sitting here poor as church mice. And I'm like, what? What? Really? I grew up in a house with no bathroom. Right? We had an outside toilet. That was it. I grew up in that. That's, you know, that was the house I left when I got married. That was how life was. And they're here, like, if we're not careful, we can get our values all totally messed up. You know that? We, we, we really can. But if God has blessed us, and I'll speak for Jill and I, you speak for yourself. God has blessed us. Amen. But God didn't bless us just for our own good. God blessed us to put us in a position where we could bless those that are in need. So God, so God goes on in, in Deuteronomy 15, and here's what He says to Israel. When you happen on someone who's in trouble or needs help among your people with whom you live in this land that God, your God, is giving you, don't look the other way pretending you don't see him. Don't keep a tight grip on your purse. No, look at him, open your purse, lend whatever and as much as he needs. Don't count the cost. Don't listen to that selfish voice. You see somebody and you've got the wherewithal. The Bible word is lend, and I won't alter Scripture. I've always, had the, I've always taken the principle, if I've got the wherewithal, I don't lend to people, I give to people. Because otherwise, you're putting additional pressure on them sometime because they're, they're really struggling now, and then here's a loan, here's something else they need to pay back. Anyway, let's keep going because uh, time is... Now, some of you might think, well, this is Long Island 2022. Is, this, is there really that much need? Gene shared how surprised he was at first. I remember when we started that mobile soup kitchen, many of you have heard this story. I, um, it's one thing to say, you know, I, th I think it should be a good thing to do, but you've got to make sure there's a need first, right? So I started making some inquiries, and I, I talked to a, an, an organization in... Um, Patchogue and uh, talked to them, and I said, uh, is there any need sort of for hot meals for folks that around the Patchogue area? 
And, and the lady said to me, well, currently there are different places six days a week where people can go and get a hot dinner, but there's no one providing hot dinners on a Saturday. And I said, well, that's great because that's the only day I've got. That, that was gonna, Saturday was going to be the day we were looking at. And I said, well, that's wonderful. And then she took me around to a number of places. And it's like, uh, I guess Patchogue's like a lot of other towns around here. The village of Patchogue has gone through a lot of positive transformation the last few years. But the fact is this, there are still some people living in dire need. There are rooming houses where people that are legally um, homeless, that's because all they've got is a room, which is a shared room on a month-to-month -month basis. They live without much hope, without much future, and uh, really, a lot of them just feeling abandoned. And then this lady took me not only to some of the rooming houses, but she took me to a, an area that was at that time uh, east of Patchogue, which was a place at that time where a load of homeless people actually lived and had their own little kind of camp out there. And I was shocked to see there was the need. Is there a need in 2022 for a mobile soup kitchen? I'm sorry to tell you, there is. It's sad that there is, but there is. And God told his people way back in the beginning of the Old Testament, when you find people that are in need, you must make sure they're taken care of. You must make sure they're taken care of. And, and you know, some folks come with kind of one-off kind of answers to shrug off their own disinterest. It's like, why don't they get a job? I, you need to meet some of the folks that we serve regularly, right, Gene? It's not that easy by any stretch of the imagination. I went on several job interviews with a man we met years ago who had been in prison for 30-some years. He went right through the interviews. They asked him a lot about his personal life, what his circumstances had been. And then they all ended with, thank you very much, we'll be in touch with you. And they were in touch with him. They said, no, thank you very much. It's not as easy as get a job. And listen, we as a church can't fix everybody's problems. But here's what we can do. We share our food with the hungry. We share our food with the hungry. And that's what you're doing and have done over this weekend as you've been giving the grace care. That's exactly what you're doing. You're taking what you've got and you're sharing with other people. There will always be those around us that are in need. And you know what they do? They stretch us and they remind us that we don't live to ourselves. And the kind of fasting that God loves is when we share our food with the hungry. And then God goes on and says this when he describes the kind of fasting he loves. He said, you share your food with the hungry. Secondly, he says this, you invite the homeless poor into your homes. Now, let's just clarify this. I'm not suggesting when you leave here today, you go over to the 7-Eleven uh, on Horse Block Road and, and, and 
see one of the guys who's outside asking for money and say, hey, why don't you come and live with me? Okay, I'm not recommending you do that. Okay? But there are ways in which we are able to fulfill what God says here. I mean, the bottom line is this, maximize what you can do. It took me years to get to a point where it's okay to do what I can do, and I don't have to feel bad that I decline to do what I cannot do. Are you with me there? So this is what I can do. The Good Samaritan, the story a lot of you will know in Luke's Gospel, chapter 10, about a man who got beat up when he was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. And um, he was beat up and he was robbed and he was led, left for dead on, on the roadside. And several religious people passed by and didn't bother to stop and see if they could help him. And then someone who was a Samaritan, the Samaritan were the sworn enemy of the Jews came down that road, and he took incredible care of that man. Uh, he tended to his wounds. He put him on his, whatever he was traveling on, donkey, horse, whatever, took him, it says, to an inn, left him at the inn for a while, gave the innkeeper money, said, take care of him. On my way back from my trip, I'll stop in again, and if I owe you any more, I'll pay you when I get back. And Jesus said to the people who were telling the story, it says in verse that he was telling the story to, verse 37 of Luke 10, Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Take care of those that are abandoned as best you possibly can. In Titus chapter 2 and verse 14, it says this, Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own. Now, some people's understanding of the gospel ends there. Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness, to purify us for himself, a people that are his very own. And they leave it there. But the bottom line here on this verse gives us the ultimate purpose, people that are eager to do good. So it's not just, Jesus has saved me. I've been redeemed. I've been forgiven. Jesus is changing me to be more like him. Hallelujah. Heaven's on the horizon. No, no, no. That's not the end of the story. What he's done for us is he's done in order that we would be people who are eager then to do good ourselves. And, and you know, when people are eager, all they need is opportunities. I love eager people because eager people just say, put me in, put me in. Where can I serve? Where can I help? Where can I do something? Where do you need, you know, love it. And, and um, by the way, if you're eager, talk to Ken or Ginny this morning because they'll slot you in. Uh, our Grace Care outreaches are doing stuff here, functional, um, at least five days of the week, at least. So there's things you could help with Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Fridays, Saturdays. And it's like, you know, when people are eager to do good, they find opportunities. The homeless poor might take on many different forms. It was a joy this morning just before service to welcome 
Regina Napolitano, that some of you have met before, she was at Our Ladies event earlier this year, who, who is the, the, the founder and director of Breath of Life Maternity Home. And she has spearheaded a ministry to provide a home, literally, for young women who want to keep their babies but need a place to stay. Invite the homeless into your home. And they're doing that literally. We've got folks here in, in our church family who've literally done that because you foster children or you have adopted children, which is a huge Christian area where there's opportunity for ministry. The homeless poor. Sometimes the homeless poor can simply be people that are, you know, you know the Maybe they don't need, you know, we can't give them a roof over their heads, but we can give them a sense of value and belonging. One of my favorite preachers from, uh, he's, he's a lot older now, um, but Tony Campolo. I loved listening to Tony Campolo preach because he was just radical. And I've got a bit streak of me. Some of you might have recognized it, others of you haven't. There's a radical streak in me as well. And, and I loved Campolo stuff. And Campolo was a great storyteller. I like preachers who are good storytellers. And Campolo tells this story that his mother called him one day. And she said, uh, she said, Tony, Mr. Kilpatrick died. You need to go to his funeral. And Campolo said, I'm 50 years of old, 50 years old, but when you're an Italian and you're 50 years old, you still do what your mother told you to do. <laughs> so Campolo said, well, okay, because the Fitzpatricks had lived just down the block from them when Tony Campolo was growing up. So on the day, he goes to the funeral home and he, he goes into the funeral home. He's a few minutes late. So he goes in, sits down, and uh, there's only one other person there. There's this little old lady in front of him on the front row. And then as he sits down, he looks and realizes there's a guy, um, there, sorry, there, there's, there's, a, there, there's a woman in the coffin, and this isn't Mr. Kilpatrick. <laughs> and he's in the wrong place. And so he, 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 goes, he goes to get up, and as he, as he goes to get up and to leave and to try to find the right funeral to be in, the old lady turned around and touched his hand and said, did you know him? And Campolo says, well, what would you have done? He nodded his head and he stayed there for the whole service. In fact, he felt so sorry for her that he rode with her in the car as they went to the graveside, and he stood side by side with her for the interment. And then, as they walked away from the graveside, he turned to her and said, I've got to be honest with you. I've mixed up the genders here, right? But you get the thing. You get the point? Yeah, I should read this stuff in front of me instead of ad-libbing. Okay. <laughs> He says, I've got to be honest, I didn't know your husband. And she gripped his hand tightly and she said slowly, that doesn't matter. Your being here with me has meant the world to me. A lot of people just need to know they belong. They're cared for. They're valued. You don't have to be able to invite them into your home. But the truth is, you can show them that they belong.
because there's a family that's bigger than your family and my family in which everybody is welcome. And that is the family of God. It's not just about inviting people into your physical space. Sometimes it's giving them a place in your heart and in your day. It's welcoming them to your tribe and letting them know that they belong and that they are cared for. Well, we're at that point again. That's halfway through. So, I guess I'm going to wrap things up right here for today, and maybe next Sunday, after all, we'll finish this series. The main thing is this. Yeah, there's a place for literal fasting. There is, and the Bible talks about it and teaches about it. But there's something far more important than that occasional practice. And that is a lifestyle of the fasting that God says pleases Him. So let's go back to God's definition of the fasting that pleases Him. In Isaiah 58 and verse 6, this is the kind of fast day I'm after to break the chains of injustice, get rid of exploitation in the workplace, free the oppressed, cancel debts. What I'm interested in seeing you do is sharing your food with the hungry, inviting the homeless poor into your homes, putting clothes on the shivering ill-clad, being available to your own family. And my encouragement to you today is to make a renewed and fresh commitment that says, God, as I'm able and you have opportunities, and you give me opportunities, I want to do the things that you want me to do. To every one of you that's already involved in our outreaches, in our programs, I want to tell you this. You're doing what this book asks you to do. In fact, I'll tell you more than that. You're doing what this book expects you to do. Why? Because we're the children of God. And as children of God, we should look like and act like our Father in heaven does. And God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son he gave everything he had so that we could be redeemed. And as children of God, as the children of God, we need to be ready to give whatever we are able to give so that we can benefit those that really need to see the love of God in a very practical way. Amen. Let's stand and pray together.